Wow. <clears throat> what a brilliant movie. <laughs> uh, we have the great honor of having Mickey Willis this, uh, this morning to uh, discuss what went behind so much of this movie. I have to tell you, Mickey, this is, there's two things that come out of this movie. Number, well, there's a lot of things come out of it, but there's two things that stand out to me. Number one is what a, a brilliant turnaround you had as a uh, movie producer, director, and filmmaker to come to the point where you uh, gave up the ideas of collectivism and fully accepted the ideas of individualism and have such a, a incredibly clear understanding of the importance of it. That is absolutely astounding. But the second thing that I want, want to say is that this is such an incredible tribute to G. Edward Griffin and the fact that 55 years ago, he was predicting exactly what we're experiencing today. And if there is a legacy that will really stand out for G. Edward Griffin, I believe that this movie will be it. So uh, with that said, Vicki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm not going to limit the amount of time because we are running a little bit late. But I want you to have adequate time to describe uh, how you went through the process of developing the, the ideology and then the script for this brilliant movie. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me and for your continued support. It's good to be here. Uh, you know, for me, it was, it was just a matter of necessity to wake up, you know, because after learning that I had been bamboozled into a political ideology that was actually doing the opposite of what I thought it was doing. For me at the time, the idea of collectivism meant oneness. That's what I thought. You know, it's a, we all need to come together, collectively come together instead of being divided. And, and I didn't understand really what the dangers of collectivism was. Uh, I, had, I, I was witnessing it. I didn't know what to call it. But uh, I was witnessing a lot of really good people believing fiercely in political ideas that they couldn't quite define or describe. And that was one of my first clues to, to asking myself that question that I reveal in the film, which is, am I hypnotized? Or first it was, that are they hypnotized? And I think it's a very powerful question to, uh, that I've continued to ask myself, uh, because there's nothing that could have convinced me at that time of, uh, of that hypnotic trance that I was in, that I was hypnotized. I, I believed everyone that didn't see it our way was, was the ones that were hypnotized. And I think we're, we're experiencing a lot of that in our nation and our world right now, where once you wake up and you've seen behind the curtain, kind of like the great Oz, and then you come back into society and you see every, you know, all the villagers still listening to the, the, to the voice of the great Oz when you know what it really is. It's, and and, and for, for them, the ones not listening to the voice of Oz are the crazy ones, are the demented ones, are the wrong ones, and um, and so it's um, you know it was it was just having that first peek behind the curtain that had me realize that if I'm really here to to do something good, which was my commitment to myself in my life, I just I want to do the best I can do while I'm here to be the best husband, to be the best father, and to put my talents and my passion of filmmaking. Uh, 
to use it in a way that's that I know that is constructive and and some of that vow that I made to myself uh, was sparked when I asked myself shortly after I was at, at the World Trade Center uh, during when it was attacked and that was really my big spiritual awakening I served there and did search and rescue and body recovery for three days and it was after that experience that I had to come to terms with what am I doing I'm working for the system called Hollywood I am producing a lot of things that make other people a lot of money I'm I'm supporting products that I don't necessarily believe in myself and perhaps I even think they're bad for people and bad for the environment I'm uh, making music videos that uh, you know that don't always honor women to the degree that I was raised uh, you know having been raised by a single mom there was a lot of input um, and that I'm grateful for of, of how to respect women and uh, and I wasn't doing that I wasn't living up to that as a man and and so I I had to you know reinvent myself and to really start asking myself the the question was what have I created that one day I now have two amazing young men two sons but but back at this time you know I asked myself what have I created that I would feel proud to sit down and show my children one day when I have children and the sad reality was I couldn't think of one thing that I would show them and say daddy made this and I thought wow all that time all that effort all those millions of dollars spent on products for what for what is this what is was this my dream that I have a dream someday you know one day as a child that someday I'll grow up and and I will produce um, works of art that make rich people even richer and destroy our planet and 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 add to the social confusion no I don't think anyone dreams of that but when I realized that I was part of that system then I knew that I had somehow incrementally been let off of my path my life path and my life purpose and I do understand I've studied psychology for many years and I, th I think it was Carl Jung who said we have a crisis of meaning on this planet and I, I do realize the power of meaning and the power of purpose and I realized that I had strayed so far from that that there I had reached that point where nothing would be fulfilling that I had accomplished and I do believe that that is what we're up against a great deal when you look at the mostly men that are leading these wicked agendas the Bill Gates the George Soros the Klaus Schwab's and the list goes on not only are they all atheist um, but they it, you know they seem to be these wounded men who have made their billions have bought all the toys that a an overgrown child could possibly desire and yet they're still empty inside and and so once they realize they don't have the tools and the consciousness and the heart and the the foundation of faith to come to that conclusion to realize that they'll never be satisfied by trying to fill their lives full of material items um, and because they don't have the tools to turn their life around and realize there's something more and that more is within that more is relationships that more is people that more is being you know the best person we can be in service to the human organism um, they rarely make that discovery instead they become very bitter and 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 um, revengeful and I think that I, I say half jokingly that what we're living through right now is a is a very deadly revenge of the nerds. Yeah, I I would agree completely with that. And as a godly man, I know you are. As a godly man, 
Ed Griffin said something that was very, very important, and that, that was we should feel blessed that we were born in this time to stand as proud creations of God to defend the human race and defend our, our God and the freedom of others. And we have an opportunity to save our children and our grandchildren and posterity for a very long time. It's not the time to be fearful, it's the time to be joyful. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I, not a day goes by that I don't remind myself how fortunate I am to be alive right now in this moment. I remind my children that of every day, despite the discomfort, despite the tragedies, despite the darkness that is doing its best to overcome our daily lives. This is our hero's journey. I've spent uh, over 30 years studying the work of Joseph Campbell and his hero's journey. And when you understand that this man has spent, spent a lifetime studying mythologies, stories that humans have been telling each other since the beginning, since the, the etchings on the cave walls, trying to understand what is the human story, and finding the commonalities between, regardless of what age or what culture, there's a very common thread of a human story that we are living out right now. And that's the story of the reluctant hero, the supposed common everyday person who stumbles upon some life or death uh, event that they're suddenly charged with trying to find the savior for. So the hero is thrust out into the world looking for help to try to solve this problem that perhaps only only they or just a few people are aware of. So they're holding the burden of knowing something that that can destroy humanity. Now they're trying to find a way to save humanity. And through that quest to try to find the hero, the, the reluctant hero is sent out into the world to receive a bunch of training, although they don't know that it's training. They think it's just bad luck. There's a lot of characters that are there to challenge it. So take, for instance, uh, a movie that I like to use. It's a really great example of the hero's journey, which is the old original Karate Kid movie with Ralph Macchio. Uh, that his, this young man's fight for survival was simply to overcome being bullied, something that almost all people can relate to at some, sometime in their lives. And he went to find the, the master to learn how to fight so he could defend himself against the bully. And the master says, go wax the car, go paint the fence. And the student, the karate kid, becomes very frustrated thinking that the old crazy master is just using him for you know, child labor until he finally ends up engaged in confronting the bully. And he realizes that the waxing and the painting and all of this was developing the muscle memory to actually do what he came to do, which is defend himself. And so there's a lot of lessons that are happening to all of us right now. And we sometimes curse them like the Karate Kid did, not understanding how valuable they are, that these things are bringing us to a point of optimizing our ability to defend ourselves, our ability to fight for what is important to us, for our life, for our loved ones. And, and it, it requires us to lose sense of that for a while to, so that we understand 
what really is important. In my life, I lost a sense of it. I was part of the machinery of Hollywood. I had suddenly all these goals of winning the Academy Award and all these things that just happen when you're in that maze. That becomes the most important thing to you. And everything is about getting ahead and using your relationships as a way to achieve your selfish goals. And, and it becomes very detrimental. And, um, and so, you know, in that same way, I think the world is waking up right now to understand that I call it divinity consciousness. It's being aware of the divinity, being aware of, you know, they say God works in mysterious ways. Um, sometimes those ways are crazy. You know, like they just, you can't see the connection between the lesson and what you're experiencing. But we, are, we can all look back and realize that some of our moments that we grew the most were the things that we didn't want the most. A death of a loved one, whatever it might be. And you realize, you know, that, that as I reveal in the film, that my mom was my, really my everything. Raised by a single mom, she was mom, dad, you know, everything to me. I, my brothers and sisters were much older than me by the time I came. Um, and she was a wonderful mother, and, and she, it was my greatest fear of losing her because she was kind of the only thing I had that I felt was my, my rock, my security. And so I always say to this day, I say the two greatest gifts my mother ever gave me was my life and her death. Her choosing to go when she left made me confront my greatest fear, and the gift of that is immeasurable, to be able to confront that and realize, well, if I got that out of the way, Everything else, my attitude is bring it. I'll, I'll deal with it. It's fine. And so, what a what a wonderful gift to 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 leave me with that strength to be able to do the work that I'm doing now. And if we begin to see life as that it's happening for us and not to us, that's one of the the greatest shifts that I ever made in my life is just realizing like I'm actually not a victim of anything. This this way I was raised, it was so perfect. I tried to explain this to my dad when he years ago when he turned 60 years old. Um, I went to visit him on his 60th birthday. He's now in, in his early 80s. And uh, we, you know, we had been acquainted. We, we, we knew each other. I'd visited many times, but I didn't really know him. And I didn't, I, I was flown out to Oregon to, to see him for his 60th birthday. I flew out there and, and I knew, I said, I don't want to buy him a gift. I want to tell him something. I want to leave him with a verbal gift. And what it, that ended up being, we were at his little local county fair, um, and we sat down on a bench. Um, and I finally said, hey, Dad, I got something to tell you. And, and what? He said, what's that? And I said, uh, I want to thank you for being perfect. And uh, he looked over at me with one eyebrow up really high. My dad's kind of a funny guy. And he goes, uh, kid, I've been called a lot of things in my life. Perfect is not one of them. And I said, I understand that. I said, let me just, let, just hear me out for a second. I said, um... You were in the Navy, yeah. And he said, yeah. I said, um, while you were on, you know, out, out at sea, if the rudder of the ship that you were on was askew by a human hair, what would happen? And he said, well, the ship would take us to the wrong damn continent. And I said, yeah. Had you been in my life one human hair more, Dad, my life would have ended up in a different continent. And I can honestly tell you right now that I, I don't want to be any other place than I am in my life right now. So you not being there was what I needed to be able to find myself, discover who I am as a man, so I could stand here proudly and say, I am very happy with the continent that I landed on. So in some strange way, your not being there was exactly what I needed to become the man that I am today. And so I want you to know that if you hold any kind of guilt, and I know you do, 
please let it go because I see you not being there as one of the greatest gifts so we can sit here on this bench together and have such a clean and new relationship that we can start over with new slate and develop our friendship without any baggage. And, um, and I just want you to know that. I, I appreciate you following God's rules and not even knowing you were by the choices that you made that have led me to where I am right now. So it's that kind of ability to turn things around the things that we sometimes feel that we are uh, a victim of, that are a negative, and to make it a plus, that it's alchemy. It's literally alchemy. And that's what I am hoping that my work helps people better understand. Well, Mickey, I have to say, I agree with you completely in that statement because we have to recognize that God does not make mistakes. Things that happen in our lives always happen for a reason. And the reason is that he gives us also, and this is part of unalienable rights, individualism, the idea that we can discern from truth to lies, we can, uh, we can make good decisions. He gives us that opportunity, and it's up to us to be wise enough, to be discerning enough, to make good choices when things don't look good. I agree with you. I have these, these talks yeah. to my sons every single day. This, this is the moment these things arise to give us that choice point to, you know, I just had this incredible talk with my nine-year-old the other day about every choice, every choice is the metaphor that I use for it, I said, imagine your life, you're building a pyramid, your life, till you finally reach that, that pinnacle peak of your life. Let's just, as a metaphor. And every choice that you make is one of those stones that create the pyramid of your life. And if each stone isn't made with absolute integrity, the foundation of your pyramid is weak. And so every lie that you tell Every little untruth that you tell is stacking a, a stone of your life and you're not building a solid foundation. So the, the more you recognize that that's what your life is, is about, is building that solid foundation that you may stand upon that as a strong, clear, good, humble, honest man. It starts now in your life, even though you're nine years old, it starts now with every choice that you're making. and. Um, and uh, and he got it at nine years old. He got it. Uh, it was really amazing to watch that that uh, visual representation of his life. He'll now use that and like dad. You know, I almost I almost uh, we have guidelines of what they can look at when they get their rare time on their iPads. And he's like, I saw a thumbnail and I clicked on it, and it was something that I know I shouldn't watch. And so I remembered. I don't want to make you know these weak stones and build and so I clicked off of it you know I said, awesome buddy that's great that's your choice they're not we don't have to helicopter parent them the whole way you know they they understand that we're not just the authorities in their life telling them what to do we're here as guides and as mentors to to help optimize their experience and to minimize the suffering only to the degree that it should be minimized because we're also aware that they they need to fall down and skin their knees. They need to have some hardship. They need to understand both ends of the spectrum so that they appreciate life when um, 
and 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 all that it offers um, when things don't always um, look the way they want it to look. Well, um, one thing that I think a lot of people have given up their responsibilities as parents and grandparents uh, and mentors to younger people uh, and understanding that we are the ones that are supposed to be giving them the guidance that is so necessary for them to become good, kind, uh, reasonable, gentle, responsible adults. That happens when we give them guidance. And obviously, you're doing a terrific job with your kids. It's really important that people understand their parental and grandparent uh, role at, in doing that. That's a, I, I really care about that subject. I appreciate you bringing that up because, and it's one of the reasons that I chose to have Ed in the movie. And, and uh, instead of just using his work as maybe a snippet or, or as research, I wanted to, to honor his work as an elder because I've traveled around the world. I've been invited to spend time with cultures that I've been the only filmmaker allowed in certain indigenous cultures that have never allowed a camera in, in, in their community ever. And to watch how people live that are not so infected and affected by the modern world that we've created around us here in the United States and the West. And in those other cultures, it's very common that the young people sit at the feet of grandma and grandpa to learn what they've learned. There's a different kind of respect. And there's a real cynical reason that we don't do that in the West, that we discard our elders and put them in a home that the kids grow up with an attitude that grandma and grandpa are so out of touch they can't even they can't even operate their iPhones as if that's what matters. Um, that narrative is reinforced in num countless movies, right? Dumb old grandpa, dumb old grandma, and this is by design. Even the fact that COVID, which we know, I hope your listeners know. Um, was a targeted bioweapon for humanity. And uh, who did it harm the most? The elderly. That's right. Why? Why do I end my film with there's only one action we need to take, and that's remember? It's because the elderly are the ones who remember. So part of erasing our history, erasing our memory, that's how we learn. And the reason history continues to repeat itself is because we continue to forget what we've learned. And so when we remember what we knew as children, when we remember or allow our elders to remember what they've learned, that we can sit down and learn from the wisdom of people that have been here for 80 plus years, 70 plus years, whatever it might be, to understand there's a value in that. They've seen more than we've seen. See, we understand if we go, to go on some kind of excursion, some kind of a, 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 a safari or a jungle hike. And we wouldn't do that alone. We would hire a guide. And we would listen very intently to that guide. The guide would tell us about the slippery rocks and what's going to happen when the sun sets and the bugs to be aware of and where the snakes hide and how to get the heck out of where we're going. We would listen intently to that guide. Why? 
because they've been there before and we haven't. And that same mindset should be applied to the journey of our lives that we understand. You've been here before. What have you learned? How can you help me, grandpa, grandma, mother, father, how can you help me to minimize the mistakes and the suffering to the degree that they should be minimized? And um, they don't want that in the same way that they want our they want our children dumbed down. They don't want them to be wise. They don't want us to evolve. It's scary when we evolve. When we evolve, we create the internet. And the internet is a double-edged sword. It, it is it can destroy us and it can also save us. We have a tool that we're using at this very moment that they never had before when other tyrannical dictators were taking over entire nations. They would have one to three state-sponsored TV networks that would tell them one lie, and the people would have no alternative sources. And when you have zero alternative sources, you begin to doubt yourself, and you think they must be right. How did Mao Zedong do what he did? That all the smart, young Chinese people are very intelligent. Mm -hmm. And how, do, how would he coerce them into, you know, worshiping him? There was nothing spectacular about this man. He wasn't, he wasn't overtly intelligent or handsome or charismatic or anything. How, how the heck did he do that? And it's because they had no alternative information. And we have, COVID is a perfect example that one of the unintended consequences of COVID is that it has birthed a generation of citizen journalists. People are sharing information like this all over Telegram, all over these chat rooms, and everyone's up to speed on what's going on. Look at what just happened in Hawaii. How fast were the citizens on top of that? I mean, day one, something's not right here sharing information, investigating, doing what the media was supposed to be doing, you know, interviewing people at the ground, locals, what really happened? What, what is the media not telling us? They shut the water off? Wait, what else happened? This is odd. These things don't make sense. They didn't turn the sirens on to warn people to leave their homes. All the children were kept home that day because of high winds. What's going on here? And it's, you know, the, that can, we can take that too far, and a lot of people do. Um, to a point of paranoia and misinformation, but we're learning. We're learning how to become journalists. And, and the experience of putting ourselves out publicly helps fine-tune that talent. I know for myself, as I, when I first started years ago putting information out online, man, you put something out that's slightly incorrect and you hear the feedback immediately. This isn't what happened. You need to do your homework. And so it, it makes you draw back and go, You're, they're right. I need to do my homework here. I need to make sure before I say anything that I know what the heck I'm talking about and that it's accurate. And people are learning how to do that right now. And the last thing I want to say on that is it used to be at the beginning of COVID when I would be asked to, I was on a book tour. I would go out early on and I would always think, well, okay, I, I don't really prepare for talks, but I think, let me at least share the latest research that me and my team are doing. And so I would go and I'd drop these information bombs on the audience. And they, you could see them just go, what? And they'd look at each other, oh my goodness, <laughs> what? I can't do that anymore, Dan. 
Now I say something, think I'm going to shock the audience, and they go, oh, yeah, we heard that. Oh, we saw that. But did you hear about this? And now they're teaching me. I'm thinking, what, what was it? What happened? I didn't hear about that. Thank you. Now I'm shocked, and I'm, I'm in awe of the audience because everyone is stepping up to do what we were told not to do many decades ago, which was to get in the way, let the politicians deal with it, don't talk about politics, just vote who we tell you to vote for, and then go back to your life and we'll take care of it all and now people are saying you didn't do that so we're gonna have to step in and take care of our own lives it's a wonderful thing it is a wonderful thing and i have to tell you mickey that's funny that you say that i've been in this uh, liberty movement for better than 50 years and um, i learn every day something new that i did not know before so we're constantly in a path of learning now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you or I'm gonna say something and I kind of want you to uh, comment on this. But first of all, that all the people of all these different political movements have to understand one thing: when they've destroyed the people who love liberty, then they'll destroy those people who are uh, collectivists as well, because ultimately. The world, the way the globalists see it, will be a technocratic feudalism that a handful of people will run and control everything, and the rest of us are just chattel and completely disposable. And the second thing I'll mention is the fact that they've openly talked about the reduction of the human population by 93%. It's all throughout their writings. They talk about humans as if we are uh, lice or ants or uh, grains of sand and they really don't have much respect for life and that's why they are the way they are. Maybe I'd, I'd like to have you say something about that. Yeah, it's, it's alarming when you understand that in pretty much all of their writings and and their beliefs that we are reaching a point of overpopulation and that the ideal population is well under 1 billion. A lot of them talk about 500 million. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really, it points to a, a deep issue within themselves, a self-hatred self within themselves that this idea that the rest of the cells imagine a group of cells within your body deciding that we really only need about 500 of us these other 10 trillion cells you know they're just in the way it's that senseless let's eliminate all of them not understanding they're all part of the same organism and so just by simply having that ideology tells you they're very very disconnected from understanding the human organism. Um, I will share some stats with everyone because when you hear these people like Bill Gates talk about overpopulation, they know the truth. And here's the truth. Of, of the planet of planet Earth, 29% is land, the rest is water. 7% is not inhabitable. It's high desert or Arctic. So that leaves 27 what, what is that, 29%, 22% land. We currently inhabit 1% to 
about 22%. So there is at least 20% inhabitable land available for humans. I've been an environmentalist for many years, and it used to be a real conundrum for me when I first learned, because I was looking for solutions. Let's, let's solve this. There's, there's no doubt. I, you know, I love our planet, and I love nature, and there's no doubt that we're polluting the heck out of it our soil, our air, our water, all of it, just by being irresponsible and for not being grateful for our lives. When we're grateful just for the gift of life, we want to take care of everything around us because we, we, we take ownership of it. Uh, you're, I'll get back on the, what I was going to say in a moment, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll die, uh, skip to this for a moment. Um, years ago, I started, I was cu curious by one question, that is, what makes a ghetto a ghetto? Why is it that it's, most cities will have an area and everyone does the same thing? And it's, it's the bad part of town. Why is that? What makes that? And the shortest answer that I was able to come to is lack of ownership. When people don't own their property, they don't respect it as much, and they also don't learn about it. You don't have to learn about property taxes or what your local county is doing or any of that because you just pay rent to some guy that you don't even like because he's the one that reminds you that you, you're owed, he's owed money, and he's the one that, you know, that, that charges you more money when you're late on the first money that you owe him, so he's the enemy. Why am I going to take care of his place? So it becomes this domino effect of disrespect and, 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 and lack of accountability and ownership. Um, back to the point of population. I, uh, when I first heard as an environmentalist that uh, there, are, there are states within the United States that either limit or completely ban people from collecting rainwater. Mm -hmm. I said, what? Wait, hold on a second. If this is true, which it is, that we're polluting the planet, why isn't the push to get out of the cities to teach people how to grow their own food, catch their own rain, and become stewards of their own land again? I would think that would be, you know, the UN's number one agenda and everybody else of like, let's get out of the city, people. Let's spread out. There's so much farmland out there. Let's let's create, you know, programs and and with with incentive tax incentives, whatever it might be, that when people grow their own food and develop their own lives and homestead um, and catch their own rain so we're not on this, you know, on this grid where we're, where we're tapping out our electricity and our water and all of our resources, let's, let's, let's use nature in a, you know, in, in the way that biomimicry or, or permaculture would suggest. So what this does, this is the opposite, just like with COVID, right? It's the opposite. You want us to stay indoors, away from vitamin D. You want to keep liquor stores and strip clubs open, but you're going to close the gyms and the health food stores. It's the opposite of what it should be. Do we have enough common sense to see this? And I didn't understand until COVID what that was about, because then I realized, oh, wow, so it is all about control. What did they do when the, those mom-and-pop businesses said, hell no, we're not going to close down. We're not going to destroy our five-generation family business for something that we know is not what you say it is. And what did they do? They said, okay, then we're going to shut your water and power off. And that's how they control the small businesses. They can't do business. We have no power. We have no water. Can't cook. Can't, do, can't, can't keep our store open. So they want everyone on the grid, which is where they're moving everyone into these you know, smart cities, which are dumb cities, 
um, so that they can, and everyone would be an electric car. And I have a friend who works in automobile manufacturing. He told me a lot of the new cars, gas and electric, are being installed with dormant technologies that they plan to use later. And basically what it is, if you, even if you drive a gas car, they're going to come with technologies that where when the state decides you have exceeded your carbon limits this month, your carbon max, um, then your cars get shut off for the rest of the month. Mm -hmm. I know that's true. Oh, that's very true. true. It's true. Well, Mickey, I this has been a fantastic discussion, and I thank you for taking the time to be with us. But The Great Awakening, what an incredible movie. Is thank there you. ways that uh, that our listeners can help you with these programs and help to fund future programs? Yeah, and I appreciate you asking that. The One of the reasons that the pandemic series is the most seen independent movie series in history is because of the model. The it is Everything I do is crowdfunded, is, is funded by the people, and that allows me to give everything away. So if everyone wants to go to pandemicseries.com, you'll see my all three pandemic movies. Even my book is free. Just download it. It's yours. No strings attached. And the reason for that is I feel that this particular information is so important and so urgent for the people and that it was stolen from the people. This is stuff that we all need to make informed decisions in our life. Um, I didn't feel right. It was a commitment I made with this particular series to not profit on it. I didn't feel right to. It's almost like, you know, I, I, as I told one person who was doing their best, a very successful person, to help me monetize him. If I had a penny for every time I've heard, had people come to me with ways that I could monetize the brand. Um, and they were very good, smart person. They said, I don't understand why you are reluctant to, to monetize what you built here. And I said, well, let me explain it to you this way. If, if all the belongings in your home were stolen and I actually found them and I loaded up a truck and backed up to your front door and I said, how much you want to give me for it? How would you feel about that? So that's how I feel. Like, I don't want to sell this information back to the people. This is theirs. They should have had it. They need it. They need it to, to be good parents, to, to be good stewards of our nation. It behooves all of us to just get this information out there and not have any barriers to entry. Because uh, someone was like, you just charge a dollar a piece. Imagine you, if it, one, everyone paid it. Well, more than a billion po people saw the first pandemic, you'd have a billion dollars. And I said a billion people wouldn't have seen pandemic if I would have charged a dollar. That's the problem. Uh, that barrier to entry will stop the information from getting out there. So. Um, there's a donation button very clearly at pandemicseries.com. I, uh, I am raising uh, uh, donations right now for the next film, which will correct the very destructive, if not the most destructive narrative, which is already upon us right now, but it's only going to wrap up, and that's the climate narrative. So people understand that that, is, that is, well, is intended to be the final nail in the coffin of our liberties. Take it very seriously because they, will, they can use that to control every aspect of our lives. We've already seen hints of it, right? what kind of stove you can have, what kind of car you can drive, all of that. Um, yeah, they're, they're going to use that to, to, uh, to create uh, an experience that is um, uh, less, than, less than free. I'll just put it that way. So uh, any help to support the next films, we, we have a long way to go. We've just started raising money um, and, uh, and have a lot to raise. So I'd appreciate that at pandemicseries.com. And then, you know, uh, above all, share these bravely, share, share the films, particularly the, the Great Awakening, because it was intended to be uh, to put all the puzzle pieces together so people can understand what's going on a broader, on a broader scale. 
and it's been very successful. I have to say, I've had a lot of messages from families that uh, are very grateful because their their children are coming back home and saying, "I'm sorry. I now I understand what was happening to me and my friends," and and uh, and that that is more satisfying than I, I I could ever articulate in words to know that that that's one of the residual effects of this movie. Um, but just you know, get it out there, help share it, download the file. It's all there on the site. I don't limit at all. People ask me, and I'll just say this out loud because I still get messages of people saying, I think even you said that, Dan, can I have your permission to show this film, right? Mm -hmm. I think you reached out to me with that. And so it, it's just a blanket yes to the world. Share the film, no limitations. Even if you charge at the door, people will always say, oh, send you half the money. It, I don't need it. That's fine. Just do your thing. If you need to pay for the location or whatever it takes to get people to see the movie, um, I, I, I just thank you for, for helping to spread the word. Well, I appreciate you being such an incredibly patriotic human being. And I have to tell you, Mickey, you're a, a very, very special individual, a very special man. And I am very, very proud to know you. And all I can say is that I will do as much as I can to promote the work you do, because it is such an important understanding of how the world really works. Well, that's very kind of you, Dan, and I and I return the the, the same to you with your legacy of your 50-year-plus work long before guys like me were even close to being awake. Uh, thank you for holding that, for supporting Ed for all these years and for all the good that you've done. Uh, it's very much appreciated. I, I consider the work that uh, you and Ed and so many others have done, uh, really, you've paved the way to allow me to do what I'm doing now. Well... Thank you again, and uh, again, the movie is The Great Awakening, and uh, go to plandemicseries.com and donate some money, because uh, these are wonderful programs, and all I can say is that uh, if we don't do our part, we can do something. Uh, I'm a former county commissioner. I've, uh, I've been involved in the freedom movement for a long time, we need to get involved. You said something very important. It needs to start at the ground up, and that's how we do it. And it's called being involved and caring about the future of humanity. I know for a fact that's the center of everything you do. Mickey, thank you again for being our guest. 